Hey everyone, I'm Luke Gaston, and you're listening to Goofin'. Thanks for tuning in to Goofin'. Thanks for being here. Hope you're all doing good out there. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for, thanks, 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 thanks. Uh, we got a good show today. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving week. I sure did. I, I've been, I've been make. I've just been stuffing turkey down my gourd and taking a power nap every day. It's been good. And I, 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 I've been trying to work out to go to the gym and I could schedule, you have to schedule a time. And, uh... <laughs> I didn't know that. Like we went from code code orange to code red uh, in in Colorado, so gyms are like you have to schedule online for contract tracing, and we only have this amount of people in the gym. So I'm like, oh cool, that's nice. So not as many people, but uh, the, the the first day that happened, I didn't know it was happening, and I get to the gym and it's just locked. I keep trying to put the key fob in, and it's like no. And eventually, I mean, and I, I smoked a, a joint before I went into the place, so. I smoked a joint. I was about to go lift, and I was like, "Oh, I'm stuck out here like a jackass." And then the the, well, the owner comes out and just is like, "Oh, you need to sign in online." And I was like, "Oh," and just kind of stood there. <laughs> and she's like, "You can come in though." I'm like, "Okay." And I didn't, I didn't process. Which, uh, I was just like, I just had weed brain where I'm like, I'm just gonna stand here. I'm gonna pass him up. And she's like, "No, like really, you can come in. Like I'm holding the door for you." I'm like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> oh, sorry. Thanks for listening to the show. Though we got a good one today, we got a really good one. Uh, we're not doing live shows anymore in in you know in person kind of podcasts with the the quality and the sound and the you know everything. But uh, you know we're doing Zoom until COVID's not ridiculous. And once it's not ridiculous, we can do more in person shows. And after that, we can hopefully do stand up again. For Christ's sake, um, yeah. My guest today is a very funny comedian out of Denver, Colorado, a regular at the Denver Comedy Works. You can catch him headlining comedy shows across the country, and he has a killer live show on Facebook Live Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. Let's hear it for the very funny John Novosad. Goofing. Goofing. Just goofing. Uh. Are, we, are we recording now? Or is yeah, we're just, or the letter rip. Yeah, this is what the oh, people want. Free. They want reality. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm good, dude. I miss seeing you do shows. I miss doing shows. Uh, and I'm sure, but honestly, your afternoon stream has been like the best. Your, your show on oh, Facebook. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, I miss you and, you know, uh, doing the shows live and all that. Uh, it's, it's tough, but yeah, the afternoon stream has really been a godsend. And I do that with, uh, my friend and fellow Denver comic, Eugene Kenny. And it's funny how that came about. Cause just one day on Facebook, you know, all the political stuff, I was like, one of these days I'm going to get drunk <laughs> and live stream and tell you guys what I really think. And so <laughs> Eugene reached out to me and said, do yeah. you really want to do a live stream? I was like, yeah, what the hell? And so we put that together and it's, it's been really fun. Nice man. Yeah. I, uh, Particularly, it stands out. One time, I was it was the middle of quarantine. I was bummed out. It was like three weeks into quarantine where you couldn't do anything, and you did a puppet show that made me cry <laughs> laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. That's good. I'm glad, man. That makes me happy. Yeah. And yeah, the puppet show has become probably our most popular segment. Mm-hmm. We still do it. It gets pretty weird. I think I'm going to end up writing soap operas after this. <laughs> <laughs> like soap Open operas show. like those uh you remember thunderbirds that show oh i do remember that yeah that's that'd be fun to do something like that <laughs> <laughs> so how's boulder is boulder doing pretty good i haven't been in boulder forever it feels weird yeah it's doing pretty good i mean 
you know, from a coronavirus standpoint, when the students came back, there was a jump. And I guess now they're doing online classes. But for the most part, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't, you know, talking about going to other cities, I haven't been to Denver since March because I would only go there pretty much to do shows. Yeah. And the last show I did in Denver was March 10th, man. So, and I, but you know, I'm taking the stay at home stuff pretty seriously. Like I wear a mask when I go out. I really, you know, it seems like Boulder would be pretty good. Besides like the Sigma Delta, Delta Sigmas of, De of yeah. Boulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. People. Good. Yeah. People are pretty good. I, you know, and I mean, I do stuff like, I don't want to be paranoid, but I go to the grocery store either really early or, you know, at night just trying to, you know, keep contact to a minimum. It's bizarre, man. I, I was thinking about this uh, today. I had a dream last night that I was out without a mask. And I was like, in my dream, I'm like, oh my God, you know? It's like so inbred into to me now, you know, that even in a dream, I'm like, damn, I need a mask on. Yeah, that, like, so, like it replaced the, oh no, I forgot to study for the test. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I Man. was in my underwear too. No, I wasn't in my underwear. <laughs> That's honestly fine that. nowadays. You can be in your underwear as long as you're wearing a mask. Exactly, man. You could be doing all kinds of stuff if you're wearing a mask. That's for sure. Yeah. Except smoking a cigarette, especially in, but I don't smoke. So, I mean, I quit smoking years ago, but yeah. You ever gotten that thing? I, I remember when I go to the doctor, they're always like, do you smoke? And I just kind of like, I don't, I kind of look at them and they're like cigarettes. I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. I've gotten that too. <laughs> um, one time I had an issue and this, you know, this was years ago. I was married. It was in the nineties, but I had an issue uh, with my eye and I, a capillary burst in my eye. Ooh. And my, my vision was really, it was like looking through uh, just in the one eye, but, it was like looking through a frosted windshield that hadn't been scraped or just partially scraped. Yeah. And here's, here's the clincher. That's why I, I was like, well, this happened long ago. So I could talk about it. I was doing cocaine, you know, um, like I say, I think the statute of limitations is up, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was married at the time and we were in Chicago and, um, staying at the in-laws house. And then we went out to a friend's house. And I was never a big, you know, blow guy, a coke guy, but I did some. Yeah. And I woke up the next day and I had that vision problem. And we were going, we were coming back home. We were flying to Denver the next day. So I told my wife at the time, Lynn, I was like, let's don't say anything to your parents. I can get through today, you know, unless it gets worse. But it stayed pretty much the same, but it was really annoying. So anyway, long story short, I go back to Boulder. I go and see my eye doctor and he's like, wow, you know, you had a capillary person there. I'm going to send you the specialist. I go to see the specialist and he goes, I'm going to ask you some questions and I want honest answers. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, I said, ask me whatever you want. And he goes, have you been injecting drugs recreationally? And so then I was like at that crossroads and I was like, I got to be honest with this guy. And I said, no, not injecting, but I did snort some cocaine. And he goes, the reason I ask is because, and he told me what it was, but it was so long ago, I don't remember. But whatever they cut, some of, one of the things that they cut heroin with, uh, one of the side effects was that it would make your you know, eyeball 
whack out. And so he goes, that's probably what it was. And then I was, I was really lucky because all they did was inject dye into my arm and then took pictures of my eyes, you know, to see where the leakage was. And then I went back in like two weeks and the guy's like, well, it's healing up on its own. So, wow, you know, we'll do this thing one more time. But needless to say, that was the last time I ever did a line of Coke, man. That, I, uh, that scared I me bad. I feel bad for, oh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that because it's my, my generation, but I hear that the cocaine back in the day is not like today where it's just like, oh, you know, we'd put up some baby powder in it and, you know. Yeah. Not that you're an expert, yeah. but. No, but yeah, that, you could tell too. And for me, the whole thing about Coke was this, since we're talking about Coke, Coke Talk with John. Um, no, uh, but the thing about it was for me, it was like the first line was great. And then the whole rest of the night was trying to recapture that feeling. And it just, you know. Yeah, it's not a fun drug. I don't really like it. It's not, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, like I say, I mean, I've got, it's been since probably 1994 or something. Yeah. How was your last set uh, in March? Was it Was it like one where you're like, I better make, the, like, did you start getting scared about the virus? I'm like, okay, I got to make tonight. Snap. I was a little bit, yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking about it because right before that, well, my last set in front of an actual audience was March 10th. I remember because I was headlining Comedy Works South and that was really fun. But like the weekend before that, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan um, at the Gilda Fest in the Clean Comedy Showcase. And I did like, they were really short sets, like seven or eight minute sets, but we did, you know, six shows, two and night over three nights. And then I flew back and I was already thinking about the virus then because it was started. I think I flew back on like the eighth. Right. And I was kind of, I wasn't wearing a mask and stuff, but I was paranoid. And then, you know, I did that show on the 10th and I was surprised how many people were there. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't sell that room out. It's a gigantic room, but there was like 150 people there and it was a really good set. And then, uh, some comic friends were giving me a ride back to Union Station because I take the bus and stuff, and they were going back downtown Denver. And they lit up a bowl, and I took a couple hits off of it. And then when I got home that night, I was like, damn, that was dumb, dude. This fucking fire, you know? I, I was know. like, what am I doing? Dude, Corona so, is the party killer. Yeah, man. It is the ultimate is the party, party killer. killer. And you know what? I've really gone to edibles, like, uh, hundred percent of the time, man. I just was like, you know, I don't know if I should be putting smoke in my lungs right now. Yeah. And I'm not a big edibles guy, but I like it. I, I did one earlier today. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> it's a good wake up snack. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. I, it's funny. Uh, you talk about like comedy work South. What was it? Did you have like a curse for a while where you were just nonstop? You're getting blizzards in the middle of your headlining <laughs> shows. Yeah, it was crazy, man. Every time I got a headline date at my home club, there's two of them, but they're both my home club, it would snow. I mean, it was like clockwork, you know? And uh, it was a, just a running joke with Wendy, the owner and booker of the club and the staff at both clubs. You're like, oh, you're booked, you know, mm-hmm. November 12th, it's going to snow and sure as hell it would. You know, and then in the summer, I would luck out, but even then we'd get the, the get sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just remember one time it really snowed a lot and I was walking from the old train station to the club with 
to South Club, which is like under dry conditions, maybe a 12 minute walk. Yeah. But I was almost to the club trudging through this snow. And then I hit a spot and just boom, went down my pack, you know, went flying. I mean, I was fine, but I just had yeah. to laugh. And I had about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before the show. So I was able to brush off all the snow. I didn't have extra show clothes, but it all worked out. I, I remember going to a show at Comedy Works South and mm -hmm. you, were, you were featuring for Norm MacDonald. And I swear that guy was high. I swear Norm was high. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I've, I've worked with him a couple of different times and I've never seen him drink. I've never seen him do drugs. Um, I know he has that really kind of stilted delivery and stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. You're not the first person to say that. I've heard, I, it seems like people either really love Norm or there's people who go to see him and expect him from like, I don't know, yeah. SNL days or something. And then he goes out and he's just like, hey, I'll tell you this. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I've never seen him high. I've heard that before. He he did a show, like um, he was he was at the Comedy Works South, and there was some sort of a benefit, and he came in a day early, and he went up and did a set, and I can't remember what the benefit was for, I honestly don't, but he offended the people. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Norm <laughs> at the benefit because he just was like, I'm going to do, you know, for him. First of all, he's not even on the bill, you know, so I'm sure he thought, I'm going to work some shit out here, you know, and uh, they were not happy. But yeah, I, I've heard that uh, from other people asking if he was high. Yeah, because I, he, he did, like, I remember it was, I think Brent Gill was hosting and he just like kind of go like, all right, good night, everybody. And then Brent comes out and he's like, you have 20 more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember being like, huh, because I've seen Norm for the past like four years at Comedy Works South when he comes to town. He's one of my favorite comics. And I just, yeah. every time I see him, I learn something. And he, uh, that year just seemed like, like he got on stage and he was quiet and he just like, everyone just kind of like, didn't realize, like he didn't say anything. And then like, he, he had a saver line. It was like, oh, I haven't started yet. You know, and he's. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, so then that was not up to his what you'd seen before, right? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Who's one of your favorite comics growing up? Oh, growing up, you know, I had this discussion with some comics. We at a festival and there, I don't know, there was like eight or 10 comics, you know, in the, whatever you want to call it, green room. They have these big rooms at the festivals and we were all talking about it. And it's funny because it came down to two comics all time for the most part. And for me, it's one and two, but it's Richard Pryor first and then George Carlin. Um, those are my two all-time faves. And I actually saw George Carlin uh, before I became a comic. And I started in like 1980. And I saw him at Mackey Auditorium in Boulder, at the University of Colorado campus. And man, it was amazing. I can't say that he inspired me to be a comic, but I just remember that show was amazing. He had a spiral notebook on a stool and he'd pick it up and he'd go, this is my notebook of weird stuff or whatever. And he'd mm -hmm. be thumbing through it and going, yeah, you won't like that. You won't like that. Oh, you'll like this. And he'd set the notebook down and then go do, you know, like 
uh, Blue Food or, that, you know, just, I mean, these classic bits. But I think he was working on them at the time. Yeah. You know? It's cool to see so the process really for cool. the first time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who was it? Somebody told me there's a woman named Brenda Baxter who used to live in Boulder and was a comic. And I think she lived in New York. But she said that, like, uh, Chris Rock would go into the comedy cellar and just sit on the stool with a notebook and bomb, you know, just mm-hmm. <laughs> working out premises. And I mean, not, not totally, but you know, like he would just try anything. Yeah. Uh, that stuff is really intriguing to me, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's not just trying to smash every time. It's like, all right, I need to grow. It's going to hurt. Yeah. And to see that process, you know, because like I've always said to newer comics or comics who asked me, about the process of writing it's like for me i always use the mining um metaphor your mining terminology you have to sift through a mountain of stuff to get mm-hmm. to those gems and it's however you do it if you write from the stage if you sit down and you're disciplined and you're at a notebook or a laptop you know you still however you do it if you ad lib your ass off you still have to ad lib a mountain of stuff and sort through that stuff and if you write unless you're you know I don't know, some brilliant savant or something. Right. <laughs> write a 30 minute act without changing a word. But you know what I mean? However you do it, it just, it takes time and it's, you have to go through a lot of stuff, but that's the stuff that's the most fun for me is to look back through my notebook and see the evolution of a joke that turned into a killer joke. And when I first started, it was, you know, the audience looking at me like I'm speaking French. Right. It's, it feels like kind of like tinkering more so than yeah. creating for sure. And then what happens, like, um, you know, comics, comic friends suggest tags or lines and stuff. And I had a joke and I had changed this joke over the years, you know, about um, somebody asked if my hair was natural. And the way the joke used to be was my friend who wasn't a comic said I look like Yanni on a bender, you know. So I said, what do you go into a you go into a barbershop and go, hey, I want to look like Yanni on a bender. So I did that joke like that for a while and I did it on TV. And then I was like, I'm going to change this joke. So I changed it to, uh, you know, how, or um, someone asked if my hair was natural and some woman in the crowd, I go, where would you go to get your hair done like this? And she said, Walmart. And that got a laugh. So I was doing that for a while and it was working okay. But I knew yeah. if I was going to grade it, I'd give it like a B. And then Nora Lynch, another funny temper comic. One night we're doing a show together and I did the Walmart line and she goes, you should say you get your hair done at PetSmart and, you know, talk about tinkering, man. man. That changed it into a home run. That's like, yeah, that was my opening joke on any really big set, you know, that's awesome. it's clean, it's funny and it's fast. And it, and it went from, you know, Walmart, ha ha to PetSmart, bam. And then, you know, you get PetSmart tags like, Hey, that flea bath is a bitch, you know, that, so it, it's amazing how it can change just that, fast you know and it just opens doors to more doors to more doors yeah it's amazing and then you know you can always go back and do it the old way if you want just to mix it up you know yeah i uh you, the, you a couple of weeks ago i asked you like what comedy writing books you thought were great and i've been reading some of well, one was from the 1980s and i feel like it's super like it's like wow for how old this book is it's just straight to the point this is what joke writing is but it's the uh some of the lingos dated it's like uh <laughs> now get out your typewriter and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on boys 
Make sure your hat's straight. And let's... Yeah, take my wife, please. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Was that the guy who wrote for Bob Hope and Phyllis Diller and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Gene, yeah. Oh, Gene Parade. Or... How to write and sell your sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good that, one. That is a good one. And that guy, yeah, he's, he's an old school guy for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he did write for Bob Hope and Phyllis Diller. Which, that's something that's crazy. Have you ever written for other comics? Just a little bit, but not yeah. much at all. More like just, you know, brainstorming with somebody in the green room kind of thing. Nice. Yeah, because I think there's plenty of comics, like especially uh, around the Denver area, that write for bigger name comics. And it's just that the idea of like someone giving you a couple thousand dollars for a couple lines of words is like, what? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. that would be sweet, man. That would be really good. But yeah, I haven't done that. And, you know, um, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, what, what's, I, 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 would, I, even, I would feel like if I were, like, wrote my best joke ever and someone's like, I'll give you $2,000 for that, then I'd be like, ah, but that means I can't do it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's, that would be the trick to the writing gig is if you can still write for yourself, you know, it yeah. works for you but then write in someone else's voice. Cause yeah, I mean, that, that brings up a really interesting question. You know, if, if somebody, let's say that there was a big name comic who liked your act, all of it and wanted to buy your act. How much would you sell your act for? Whoa. You know? Anywhere from 35 to 40 minutes, 50 minutes. Right. Man, it would have to be a hell of a lot because you'd be starting not from, well, pretty much from scratch, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I'd have to get, I don't know. I'm just ballparking it here, but like 75 or a hundred grand, I would sell my 15 minute act. I don't know. That's a lot yeah. of money. How much right now? Start the bidding. What, what, what do we start the bidding to get your entire <laughs> one hour act? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let's start the bidding. Yeah. Some people would probably say I'll, I'll have to pay them to take it. Oh, geez. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Not a very good one. I guess that's not a good selling point for me yeah. selling my whole one hour ad. Right. Uh, yeah, it would have to be a lot of money, man. What did, like, you always see, like, you always post pre-show creek time. Is that like a ritual you have every show? I mean, it's funny because I went, yeah, and creek is just another slang or metaphor for smoking weed before the show. But, but um, I went, you know, for 15 years easily with not i mean i smoked weed but i never got high before a show and stuff and then i just uh was with a comic who smoked a lot of weed we were on the road and so i did a few shows high and man i don't have to be high now to do it but it's fun and i really like doing it so it has become sort of a ritual and then i mean at the downtown comedy works there's that creek path that's literally like three blocks from the club yeah so that's where the whole creek thing came up and i would go there i've smoked with a lot of big name comics <laughs> down there and just a lot of Denver comics it's been fun so you know i would do that and like my ritual before especially downtown but you know when i was on the road before the uh corona I would I would do it there too, but it was always scary on the road. And I would look on the normal N O R M L, you know, the yeah. marijuana website, see what state laws were like. And if it's a misdemeanor for a small amount, then you know I would go sneak off somewhere and take a couple of quick hits. But that's always freaky, you know. And then yeah. I mean, there's some states where it's a 
felony no matter what. And you're like, damn, man. You know what's crazy but, is we're like right next to Wyoming, and Wyoming is so crazy. Like, no, no weed. Don't even think about it. But we have Wyoming people coming over here. Like, thanks for the weed, Colorado. Yeah, that's it's funny too, and like uh, in Trinidad, which is on the southern border of Colorado. People cross there, and I mean, I've never seen so many pot shops per capita. There's like, I can't remember what the name of the street is, but there's like three or four in a row. So I was talking to one of my friends who lives in Trinidad, and he said what happens is people cross the border from New Mexico and just go down the line because they're recreational and buy the maximum at that store, then go to the next store that's right next door, buy the maximum of that. I'm like, damn, man. Cause it's, you know, cause I, when I first got there, I'm like, man, these people must love weed, you know, but yeah. then start doing the math and go, oh, it's a people crossing over. Man. Yeah. I've always noticed, uh, cause I sometimes, uh, will have some marijuana before a show and I know the point when I've had too much is when I'm looking at the audience and they're looking at me and I'm like, why is everyone looking at me? I'm just <laughs> like, oh fuck. <laughs> Do you ever get to that point where it's like, oop, had a little too much of the, the hoo-hai uh, right down by the creek? For sure. And I've got a story about that. And this actually happened at the Comedy Works um, downtown in Denver. And I had a friend come in to the club. And it was a showcase show. It, was just, it wasn't like a showcase for anything big. We were just all working on 10-minute sets. So it's like seven or eight people doing 10-minute sets. And I had about... I don't know, 20 or 25 minutes before I was supposed to go on. So my friend comes to the club and she's, Hey, do you have time to go smoke? And I'm like, yeah, but we can't go to the Creek. So we just went into the alley and I like hot box, three big hits of weed. So I get back in the club and I've got about 15 minutes or no. Yeah. 15 minutes say before I'm supposed to go on. And all of a sudden it hits me, man. And I'm like, I'm too high. This is what I'm saying in my head, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can do this set. And so I'm walking back and forth between the green room and the bar, just talking to myself, trying to decide if I can do this set or not. And so then I'm like, <laughs> I convinced myself I couldn't do it. And I'm just going to go talk to the manager, you know, and yeah. tell him, hey, I'm too high. And they love me there, you know, but still, you don't want to be that guy yeah. going to the manager and going, I'm too high. So I stopped myself from talking to the manager and I go, man, I'm doing 10 minutes. You know, I gave myself a pep talk. I go, just go up there, recite 10 minutes out of your act. Don't talk to the crowd. Don't, just, you know, and uh, Nancy Norton was on before me. And so when she hit the stage, I knew I had 10 minutes. And luckily I'd come down just enough to where I was like, okay, but it was funny because I was just, I shouldn't say it but I was reciting 10 minutes out of my act. My whole goal was to make it through without, you know, panic like or whatever. A, yeah, you had like an out-of-body experience where it's like, okay, let's watch John do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was like. And so, you know, I'm kind of careful about that because normally what my routine is, is about an hour or an hour and a half before the show, I'll smoke it up, you know, smoke up, and then go and have a beer at the club and then maybe go out like a half hour before my set and take one more hit. And that's a real nice, you know, because at first, um, when you do get too high, you know, that's not the time <laughs> to be on stage. But that's what's good about smoking is if you wait 15 or 20 minutes, you're not totally 
down but yeah. you know what i mean like it's you're not as high yeah you don't want you loosey goosey's good but when you're out in space yeah that's not good and that's the thing that's scary about edibles because if you overeat an edible it's not 15 or 20 minutes you know no and then that's like all of a sudden like it's like why like all I, I, every time i eat an edible i swear i forget and i'm like why is my head up oh oh you know when like the roller coaster effect takes in you're yeah. like okay one time i uh I like to bake brownies. I like make my own little edibles <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I, I, I made a huge tray and I gave it all to the Fort Collins comedy scene at an open mic. And I said, only eat like a quarter. Cause like, you know, it's pretty strong. And then all the comics eat the whole thing. And that open mic night was one of the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> How bad, man. Everyone trying to hold it down. People getting hit with it right when they're on stage. Like, uh, that's really funny. I did. Um, I had a friend give me, um, some medicinal, a medicinal bar. And so, and it's, you know, those squares are like 50 milligrams instead of 10. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I miscalculated in my head and I thought I was only, I thought I was taking 12, you know, and, but I was taking like 20 or, and I'm a lightweight. So I had like 25 milligrams and this was before an afternoon stream show. <laughs> so I got really high and I didn't realize till afterwards that I did 25 milligrams. I was just like, man, this is kicking my ass. And so I almost, again, you know, I almost called or texted Eugene and said, dude, I don't think I can do this show. <laughs> I'm ready to abandon ship if I get too high, I guess is uh but then it was fine. And again, I, you know, that was one where I drank more alcohol than I normally would to take the, <laughs> take the edge off the high, man. Yeah. I, every time I've done a Zoom show this year, I'm already like, oh, man. And when I do that Zoom show, I'm like, well, I'm going to have like four beers and then probably a lot of weed because it's just, it's such an unnatural environment for like jokes for me. And like, there's no actual audience like you're getting energy from. It's just feel. I feel like I better. It's better that I'm a monkey in a cage, than it, I am like just like hey and this other thing. Yeah, Personally. no, I know, I know what you mean. I, I'm actually doing another Zoom show on uh, next Wednesday, but I I go weeks without doing them, and they're okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's not the same. Even when they have an audience mic'd up, you know. Yeah, uh, it's still bizarre. So, yeah, especially when it's like only like one dude just going, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. And then you can see, you know, the people sitting on their beds or whatever, and you're just yeah. like, oh. <laughs> or like people don't know that their their cameras on, and they're just like double triple chinning with their iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty wild. That's what I like about afternoon stream, I guess, is that, I mean, I'm expecting to get laughs, but it's such a different format, you know, it's yeah. not stand up per se. So you just kind of put it out there and then. Well, I think the, the biggest thing that is terrible about the, the, the shows, everything going down is that was our, like I, I had gotten points for like low lows during the quarantine where it's like, Oh, like stand up was like my release valve, my creative, like, expressive expression time and without that at like ex, like that thing that i've had for so long all of a sudden going away it's like oh i need to find something else like something i can just channel that into 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And that's why for me that live stream with Eugene has been great, you know. But I know what you're saying because I was thinking, I went for a walk this morning just for like 30 minutes or whatever, you know, to clear my head or whatever you want to say. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, stand up, not only was it something that I love to do and perform and all that and writing and all that, but it's a huge part of my social interaction yeah. with people. You know, I would go down to Denver on an off night and, you know, if it was a headliner I knew, I'd say hi to him or on a Tuesday night and it's new talent night. I'd go yeah. down there and hang out and have a beer, say hi to people and stuff. And now, I mean, that's, it's gone, not just the shows, but that other part. And it's funny, I have a friend who isn't a comic and he was having a tough time. And he goes, well, you're used to living by yourself. And I, I wasn't an asshole to him, but I go, not like this, you know, <laughs> where I don't see, I mean, you know, it, it's crazy for all of us. But yeah, it really drove home the point today of how much of a social interaction stand up really is, even when you're on the road. I mean, sometimes, you know, I am good at spending time by myself. I spent a ton of time on the road killing time in towns that i don't know anybody but you still interact with some people along the way yeah know? like you go to a diner and you're like hey what's going on you know yeah. like even just like the smallest interactions are important and you don't realize how important it is until like oh i've been in my house forever now yeah and it's like well i'm gonna go out and check the mail so let me put on this mask and, you know <laughs> we suit up like, yeah exactly <laughs> i'm gonna make the most of this trip outside it's crazy yeah. At least you're stuck in a gorgeous town. I'm always jealous of Boulder because Boulder is probably one of the most beautiful places to live. And it, it's, I think it's home to a lot of goblins, like people who like people wouldn't exist. Like there's only certain people that would exist in Boulder because Boulder just allows it. Yeah, I believe that's true. I think Boulder is interesting to me because like you say, goblin, goblins, God, I can't even say that word. Um, <laughs> Creatures. <laughs> yeah, you can't say it in Boulder. They won't let you. There's a lot of people like that. Like I always joke, you know, people see me and think I'm the mayor. But, um, you know, the, this interesting dichotomy in Boulder, because there's people like that, but then there's a lot of money in Boulder, man. And, uh, you know, I think that part of it, I would say, and I'm talking shit about my own town, but the homeless shelters like all the way out on North Broadway, like almost on the road to Lyons. And I yeah. think, I don't think that's a coincidence, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, whatever they're, they're helping them out there. So that's good. But I think people are concerned, you know, about the property values and stuff in this town. And they, they have every right to be, I mean, people should be concerned. You can yeah. tell I live in a one bedroom apartment. I'm better. No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not better, but I just, it's interesting to me because it's a pretty liberal town, but there's a lot of money in this town too. For sure. It's, I think it's the type of liberal where it's like, um, we're going to, we're going to do these certain things that are, are liberal so we can feel good about having this much money. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> like one of the things they're trying to do is to figure out a way to get away from the power company. I mean, citywide, you know, oh. and I don't know. I think they're trying to do that or that's, some of the stuff that I've heard and it's like, that's cool. But you know, I don't know. They complain if you light up a cigarette and I'm again, I don't smoke. You think I was a smoker, but if you smoke a cigarette down on the mall, man, they're going <laughs> to tackle you. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I think you could probably smoke weed down there better than you could smoke a cigarette. You know? Damn. But yeah, I, I love Boulder. Every time, uh, I think one of the first 
you were the one of the first people I saw uh, do stand. I didn't even know stand up was a thing in Colorado. I like when I was in, when I was like twenty twenty one, twenty two, and I went to the Boulder Comedy Show, and I saw like uh, I saw a bunch of comics go up, and I see you go up for like a drop in set, and I it was like, oh, this is insane. This art form is insane. <laughs> You did like think fifteen minutes and you closed with lunchbox surprise, and like oh, yeah. my head exploded. I was like, oh, but then I felt bad because uh, a, a comic from New York went up after him and was like, oh fuck, because you blew up the room so much that he was like, well, how's the subway? And everyone's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's a couple things that I'd say uh, the lunchbox surprise thing is so much fun. It's like I read out of a children's book and I have an alternative ending. It's actually fun. But you know, um, I've been the guy following the really good guy. You know what I mean? Who blew up the room and then I'm tap dancing. Uh, So, you know, but that said, uh, I never intentionally go up there thinking I'm going to smoke this son of a gun who's following me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, yeah. but I'm not going to hold back either, man. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the best job that I can. And if I get on a roll, you know, I'm going to step on the gas. And I learned that lesson when I was in Oklahoma city featuring for a guy. Oh man, I can't remember his last name, Steve. This was in the nineties also, but I used to do a big closer where I had tie dyed stuff on underneath my clothes with a tearaway suit. And I was, uh, I was hippie man. I turned into hippie man. I was a tie-dyed superhero. And so I was featuring for this guy and I was doing the closer and he was fine with it. And I had this set like on Saturday first show where I just killed it. And I'm, you know, I'm featuring, so I'm doing 25 to 30 and I was killing it. And I looked at my watch and I was at my time. And so I closed it a different joke. And this was back in the day, I guess there's still some, but it was comedy condo, you know, was sharing an apartment with two other acts yeah and so we go back that night after the second show and we're sitting at the kitchen table talking and the guy steve the headliner was he was fucking mad at me (laughs) he goes dude he goes why didn't you do your closer on that first show and i go you know i was having such a good set and i went through i'd done my time and so i got a big laugh on that other joke and he got off and he goes don't ever do that he goes don't hold back for any reason he goes if you would have done that closer you probably would have gotten a standing ovation and that was from the guy who was going to follow me man yeah he was like telling me what the fuck so that was pretty cool and but that's what i'm saying like i don't go up there trying to blow somebody away but well i think I'm that's but you yeah the cool thing you do is like when that happens uh is like you set a bar because if you never went on stage and crushed that hard i didn't know that was possible in person and you set the bar. You set you set the bar for all the comics. Like, oh, that's what, that's how that's how awesome this can be. Yeah. Well, and thanks. You know, and and that's the other thing. And I mean, this is, sounds like a cliche or whatever, but it's true. And it's something that I've always said to myself: if I'm going to travel across town or across the country to do this, then I'm going to do the best damn job that I can when I hit that stage. I've got. 20 hours a day or whatever you want to slice it 22 hours a day to be weird and lament about whatever's going on in my life but when yeah. i hit that stage man you know what's if i i would just get a day job if i felt like oh god i gotta go to you know i have to go to i went to grand rapids in march you know which is not yeah it's pretty chilly there but those shows were great and i mean they paid me i had a good you know it was fun 
Yeah. Did you like, I love the, I like, uh, I love that you can travel and do like comedy. Like if you get good enough at comedy, you can travel and do it. It can get your travel around. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of the country that I probably wouldn't have seen by doing comedy and it's taken me to some, you know, cool places. I've never gone, never done comedy overseas or anything like that, but just to travel around the United States, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll never forget Camden, South Carolina, only because it literally was like the worst set, one of the worst sets I've ever had, man. Those people, I was at a sports bar or whatever, they did not like me at all. Oh. And it's funny how, you know, that just, it, um, it just becomes ingrained in you. You remember the really, really good ones and you remember the ones where, I mean, like I said, how many people here just wish I would, get off the stage and that I got an applause break, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's, that's humbling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, um, when I was married and I was still working, you know, the comedy work's been around forever and, uh, they used to have a midnight show. So I did my set and then I'd seen the headliner. I knew the headliner was a local guy. I did like a 15 or 20 minute set. So Lynn, my wife and I decided to leave. And as we're leaving the downtown club at, I don't know, 12.40 a.m. on a Saturday night, uh, this guy's doing push-ups on the sidewalk. And there's two guys, you know, standing next to him watching, watching him do push-ups. So I don't say shit, man. I just, I don't even, you know, I see it, but I just keep walking with my wife. And we get like, you know, a quarter block away. And I don't know which guy it was. One of the three yells, you suck you're the worst fucking comic I've ever seen. So this is out in front of my home club, man. How do you take that seriously though with the guy doing (laughs) push-ups? Oh yeah, man. I mean, I could have gotten my ass kicked if I would have talked back. I was just like, hey, thanks for the feedback. You know, we keep walking. And I said to Lynn, hey, one of my many fans, honey, we're laughing. And so then the guy, and I, you know, I'm going to say some dirty words. I guess it doesn't matter, but he keeps yelling at me. I'm like, you know, now we're like half three quarter block away. And he goes, what is it? You suck. He goes, you suck cock. And I mean, I just start laughing at that point. I'm like, what the fuck? But you know, after we get home, uh, wake up the next day going, man, to think that somebody, I evoke that kind of response. Right. Out of some, <laughs> someone, you know, Jesus, it's crazy. Yeah, they got that angry about it, you know. Was it the guy doing push-ups that was yelling at you? I don't think it was, but I don't know for sure because I was like, you know, I wasn't going to turn around and really start talking shit back to him. But yeah. it was one of those three guys for sure. Got to pick your battles. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, I even joked to my wife, going, "Hey, do you want me to go back and take care of him?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> but she knew Fuck I was up. That. Yeah, Jesus, three guys. One of them's doing push-ups. I might have been able to kick the guy doing push-ups, I guess. Yeah. I, did you ever have a headliner after, like, the, like say, it's a two-show night? After the first show, they're like, oh, hey, can you, can, you, can you ease up on him a little bit? Can you? I never had that. I've oh, had good. a couple headliners, and usually it was before the show even started. Like, if there was a specific topic they wanted me to stay away from or, like, you know, don't do any politics, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, no, I've never had anybody ease up. One time, uh, Bobby Slayton was getting, he had like a red eye flight. And I mean, that guy pleaded with me 
to not go over. I was doing 20 minutes. And I'm like, Bobby, I won't go over. I promise you, man. And I swear, he, he asked, I mean, I get it. He wanted to catch his flight. But I was like, I, I promise, man. And I think I came off at like, you know, 18 and a half yeah. or something. He was like, thank you so much. I was like, dude. Of course. Go, I've been doing this for a million years, man. I'm going to respect the time, you know. But he wasn't an asshole about it. He was just nervous about it. Yeah, and then that totally makes sense. I mean, that's yeah, that's not like someone going like, "I need you to look worse so I look better." That's like <laughs> right. Yeah, I've never heard that. I've had people go, "Man, you're really hard to follow," but I've never had anybody say, "Hey, you know, can you hold nice. back a little bit?" But I've been that guy. Uh, there's a guy. He was like the first year of American Idol. He was the host with whatever that other guy's name is, Ryan Seacrest. This guy's name is Brian Dunkelman. And this was way before American Idol. But he was like high energy, did all kinds of voices, you know, facial. And he was featuring for me at Wits End, which was a club in Colorado, uh, in Denver, Westminster. And I couldn't follow him, man. I mean, he he smoked me. And we were laughing about it by the end of the week. I'm like, well, one more, you know. Because, I mean, I, I would, I'd never ask anybody to hold back. And then, of course, when the guy, I was friends with the guy who owned the club. And, man, he was, <laughs> he was not happy, you know. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of slid the check across the desk. and said, we'll have to do this again sometime. I didn't go back to the club for a while, but I finally went back and talked to him. And, yeah. shit out. and you know, and it wasn't from a lack of effort on my part. It was not a good booking. And I wouldn't have been surprised, honestly, if they would have said, Hey, we're gonna have Brian close the shows and your feature for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. That's it's sometimes too, just like someone who's just brand new, maybe three or four years in, just bam, smashes and you're like, Oh, we had no idea you're gonna do that. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it is a weird mix. Like uh I mean, I think I I'd like to believe that I can follow anybody now. I mean, maybe not, but you know, to make it my own unique energy no matter what's going on in front of me. But there's some people, in fact, um, Brent Gill, you know, we talked about Brent. Brent is boisterous, high energy. Yep. When I go up after Brent, I give myself an extra minute or two of, hey, everybody, let's hear it again, you know, for everybody you've seen, if I'm headlining, that kind of stuff, yeah. just to kind of transition back to me because I can't, you know, maintain that energy. And Zach Moss, not so much his energy, but Zach is really, you know, I mean, his energy is good, but he's very loud. And so someone like me coming on after him, it does take a second or two, you know, just reset the table. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you sort of tap dance with the, you know, you don't want to be whatever Mm. condescending or whatever, but you ask people, you know, what's going on, how you do, don't want to do crowd work, but there's just a a weird little dance you do. Deacon Gray, you know, who uh, passed away a few years ago, he was the new talent coordinator and that guy, was great at that kind of stuff. Like I would always watch him MC because he'd spend like 90 seconds without doing any kind of jokes, just welcoming them, welcoming, God, I can't talk today, welcoming them. I guess it's that edible. Now to say. During <laughs> my speech. I'm seeing colors now. now uh, but yeah, he was great at that, you know, just kind of welcome everybody and, and uh, do a minute or two to get them settled down, especially mm-hmm. like, I think the hardest shows to host are those second shows, either Friday or Saturday second, because most clubs, it's like once they get everybody seated, they start the show. And so people are just getting into their seats. Some people, people yeah. are ordering drinks. It's like, there's a bustle or a hustle in the room, you know? Yeah. I, uh, 
one time I was, I mean, I remember the first time I was at new talent night and uh, Deacon used to give notes mm-hmm. and he, he was giving everyone notes and he gets to me and he goes, I actually didn't see your set. And then that was the last time I saw him. <laughs> so <Whoa. I'm> just <laughs> like, <laughs> well, <laughs> missed out on a comedy legend, giving me a few notes, but Hey, you know, he set the, he set the groundwork for the whole program. So I'm, I'm thankful for him in that respect. Yeah. That's, that's wild. So he had never, did you ever got any notes from him before then? No, no. It's like, Oh, sorry. I missed your set. Mm-hmm. And then just went up to the next person like, Oh, all right. <laughs> wow. That's funny, man. That's hysterical. But the program, it seems like there's so many people coming in to do comedy now. It just got to a point where I'm sure he got overwhelmed with how many like relationships he could have around that kind of situation too. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, and this is some real inside baseball stuff, if you're not familiar with the comedy works, but they, he, Deacon ran new talent night. They had a hotline that comics would call in. So I bet you he took, you know, and you just call in and leave your name or whatever and you're available. But still, like 80 to 100 calls. And then he also ran um, the Funny Final Four, uh, which was a, you know, different kind of a new talent thing, but it was a different organization. And there was one, oh, the contest. Yeah, new talent Uh, night and new new faces, faces. Funny Final Four. And he organized all that stuff. And, I mean, that's, like, I very rarely heard anyone complain and say, hey, I got double booked on the contest, or he told me I was booked and I'm not, and, you know. He was great at that, man. His organizational skills, because I mean, I, I couldn't, I'm fairly organized, but I couldn't do that. I, I would go nuts trying spreadsheet to- Spreadsheet on spreadsheet on spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, you know. That was the kind of stuff I did. I was a quality data analyst at the end of my illustrious job career. Yeah. And I mean, I had some pretty strong Excel skills, but yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that that was like work that I didn't want to do. I mean, right. the, you know, quality data analyzing. <laughs> I did it. I was a quality data analyst. I did it, man. I was the but, best. Yeah, it was, I wish I had some data to put a quality analyst on right now. Right. I, I, I'm looking forward to, I think, uh, you know, hopefully things are going to be opening up soon again and, we get to see everyone doing stand-up again. I'm looking forward to you coming up to Fort Collins to headline the new club. Yeah, that would be great. I'm really looking forward to uh, doing shows again myself, you know, and that would be a lot of fun. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I- I'm being extra cautious. I'd be the first one to say when it comes to the virus. But I think realistically, I mean, if I was able to travel – and do shows by next summer, I would be ecstatic. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that means things have really taken, uh, you know, a good turn. And I don't know. We'll see. You know, um, I'm working on my own vaccine. I know there's three or four, <laughs> but I got something going with turpentine and pickle juice. I think it's going to just mail in a bag to the CDC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try this, man. Just a teaspoon. Tell me what you think. <laughs> that uh, would be funny to send a bag of pickle juice and turpentine. Oh yeah. Something. And like a squeaky toy for fun. Yeah. And definitely wear gloves and use a fake address when you do that. <laughs> I don't, I'm not speaking from experience, but yeah. It seems I, like <laughs> you know, what's weird is um, I think you're, you're, you're pretty uh, insightful with this. I think uh, 
the political situation the past four years, people are like, oh, uh, Trump was great for comedy. Great for comedy, right? I, th- I personally think he was terrible for it because he's already ridiculous on his own. I agree 100%, you know. I mean, there's guys that are doing it. Colbert, mm-hmm. his whole monologue is that. And I get it. That's funny. And that Sarah Cooper lady, you know, the one who lip syncs Trump's speeches, that yeah. was brilliant. But I agree with you from a stand-up working clubs, you know, for one, you split the room yep. right off the bat. Boom. But the other thing is, it's like, you know, Andy Kaufman, right? Mm-hmm. the legendary comic and then jim carrey did that movie about him whatever man in the moon but i'm just i i donald trump is the andy kaufman of politics and i mean that because like andy kaufman would do these crazy outrageous things you know yeah. and then you're like god it can't get any weirder and then i remember watching him on tv and he said he's he's a christian now and he <laughs> proposed to some woman you know and yeah. said he's and it was all BS. And that's the thing about Trump. It's just like when you're like, oh, I can't get any weirder. He's like, watch this, you know, and it gets weirder. I mean, that's what I, that's why I think it's hard to do jokes about him. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, it's so absurd. It's just crazy. Yeah. Another book you uh, recommended to me was a uh, writing stand, like writing comedy for late night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the things they say in it is, to you have to start every kind of joke or every every joke has some kind of fact in it but the thing that trump did was he just created no facts at all ever and it's all hearsay so you can't really write a joke about it yeah that's a good point um yeah i like that book too the writing uh for late night Mm -hmm. uh because it has a bunch of good stuff in there that you can use even if you didn't you know not writing for late night i mean there's some really good writing exercises in there. But yeah, you know, if you're not starting from a, uh, you know, you're already starting from a lie yep, and it's a wild exaggerated lie, you know, uh, um, then it's crazy. I think that, uh, and John Stewart wasn't around doing the daily show. I wish he was doing the daily show when Trump was president, but I've always said that if networks took the kind of reporting that John Stewart does or did, and also John Oliver. But if they did that and just eliminated the jokes and used that reporting technique. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't understand why. And I think, well, I think I do understand. They want access to these people for the Sunday morning shows and stuff. And I think if they did that, politicians would be like, screw you. But they, John Stewart was great at that. Like showing, and I don't have specific examples, but say like Lindsey Graham, you know, in 19... Uh, or say 2000, Lindsey Graham going, I will never do this. And then in 2020, there's Lindsey Graham going, I'm going to do this. And they were just great at that. And I'm like, why don't they do that with the network news? It's interesting because I I listened to an interview with John Oliver and he said that like the the interviewer was like, you're doing better journalism than most people. Why is it that you have some of the most factual, like well thought out things and at the end is a joke? And what John was said, it was that, if you have a joke and it's all, if, if it's, if there's no, like, you know, if there's no foundation for it, 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 it has no legs. It just, the sand will go through the cracks. So taking that, mm-hmm. the idea of like, if I want to get a good joke, I need to do all this really crazy work. If networks would just like, instead like pretend like they're doing a joke and then never write the joke, they'd be great. <laughs> that, yeah, it would be great. And, you know, and I, and at this point, I think, you know, that the country is so divided that, it wouldn't make a difference anyway 
but maybe it would with you know a few people on the fringe. But yeah, if they just eliminated the joke and showed the hypocrisy, um, you know, because that's what the Daily Show and it still does that. But yeah, John Stewart was amazing at that man. He was. I think those were the biggest shoes to fill. I mean, Letterman, obviously, but everybody knew Letterman was going to retire. You know. Yeah. John Stewart was a little bit of a surprise. I think John Stewart. He retired because he. What was it? He he started realizing that he actually was becoming what people would turn to for their truth. And when he quit, <laughs> yeah. when he quit, like every, if you notice, every network had their own version of John Stewart's show. So they took the, like, if, like, like a different groups of people and gave them their version of John Stewart. Yeah. Uh, even comedy central had, what was the guy's name? Larry Wolford. I can't remember what his show yep. was, but, uh, and then he lost that show right before the election. I was like, why did they, that was a good show. And I'm like, mm-hmm. the election's coming up. But yeah, you're right. You know, everybody has that. And I think too, I mean, to see the quality and no offense to Trevor Noah or anybody else, you know, uh, Samantha B or whoever has those shows. But when you see the quality of what Jon Stewart did, and I think, you know, that, and obviously he had a huge staff and everything else, but that those are monumental efforts. I bet after a while he's just like, God, we're doing this again. Yeah, burn um, out. That's so funny. I have my phone on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have my phone on. Do not disturb. But actually, my brother's calling me. But I'm just gonna let it go to voicemail. <laughs> but I guess he can break through the do not disturb part on my phone. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, we can wrap it up, man. Uh, is there anything? I mean, I know for sure. Uh, check out John's uh, Facebook. Uh, fun stuff with John Novosad on Facebook. You have that uh, afternoon stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? At three o'clock. Yeah, three o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, my Facebook page. If you go to Hippie Comic or Fun Stuff with John, you'll see it. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. Hey, thanks That's for. Thanks for doing this. Honestly, you're you're uh when I when people ask me what my favorite comics, you're you're definitely one of them because you you have this, you you have so many things where you just want to have fun. Thank you for being here. Uh, and yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward thanks, to having man. a beer and maybe a little bit of marijuana at the creek with you when when we get shows again. That sounds like a plan, man. I can't wait for that to happen. So that'll cool. be great.